So this morning we are back into Luke as we take a look at these four songs of Christmas that are recorded in his gospel. Last week it was Mary's song, the Magnificat. Today it's Zachariah's song. If you're not too familiar with Advent, maybe you didn't grow up going to church or uh, you grew up in a church that didn't celebrate Advent, you can think of Advent as like an invitation. We are invited during Advent to slow down, to prepare him room, as we sang earlier. I love that song. I, I don't know how you feel about it, but it gives me shivers. And I particularly love the line that refers to our hearts being busy as Bethlehem, because I experience that. We have to listen if we're going to hear God knock. We have to be still to hear his voice. I think Luke really wants us to grasp how important that is. Of all the gospel writers, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but it takes Luke a really long time to get to baby Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, right after the opening genealogy, it only takes seven verses before we get to the birth of Christ. Mark doesn't even have a birth story. Jesus shows up as an adult in the ninth verse of his gospel. John gives us more of a vision, a poem, a theological, lyrical presentation of the gospel than he does tell the story of Jesus. But he only takes 13 verses to do that before Jesus again shows up, before the word became flesh and dwelled among us. Unlike the rest of the gospel writers, Luke takes his sweet time. We have 86 verses here and a host of characters before Jesus arrives on the scene. To me, it feels like Luke is saying, what's your hurry? I will get there eventually. But you cannot Google map this. You cannot find shortcuts. You cannot avoid the traffic. You can't predict this. You need to be patient and you need to rest in the waiting for it. And with Zachariah, Luke offers us the first detour. So last Sunday we met Elizabeth, a cousin of Mary's. And when the angel told Mary that she would have a baby and that he would be the son of God, she went off to see Elizabeth and stayed with her. So today we get the backstory on Elizabeth. We meet Zachariah, her husband, who was a priest in the temple. And we learn that they were good people, that they were very old, and that they had no kids because Elizabeth hadn't been able to conceive. And then something amazing happened to Zachariah as he was serving in the temple one day. Let's pray before we open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Holy Spirit, would you give us ears to hear this morning? Ears to hear the words of true deep, abundant life that you have ready for us to receive today. Amen. So we're going to read Luke 1, starting at verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right of the altar of incense. 
When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. This is the word of the Lord. So before Zechariah can sing, he needs to be silent. Before we can have the joy of the Lord, we have to listen. As you've heard already, today's the third Sunday of Advent, and we've lit the candle of joy. When we feel joy, and we don't feel it all the time, do we? But when we feel it, there's one basic, natural human response to that emotion. And that is to sing. When we are joyful, we want to sing. But how often do we really get to do that? We have headphones on, we have earbuds in, we consume lots of music, we have access to more music, we have more choice than ever before in history. But do we ever really sing? If you stop and think about it, church is one of the few remaining places in our society where people do sing together. When was the last time you gathered around the piano with your family and friends and sang songs? I'm guessing it's been a while. Maybe it was 1886. Our family went to see the Shaw Festival production of A Christmas Carol a few weeks ago. And the show starts with the cast wandering out into the audience and getting us to sing Christmas carols. I loved it. But it was awkward. The family sitting in the row right in front of us seemed totally freaked out by this. They kept looking at each other like, how did we end up in this place? Like they'd been suddenly teleported to a strange planet. Are we really doing this? Are we really singing songs about Jesus here in this theater? One thing about singing is it makes you vulnerable. Are you doing it right? What if you get the tune wrong? What if you look stupid? What if you sound worse? As I mentioned last week in my sermon, singing can be weird, especially if there's any hint of musical theater involved. (laughs) That's what I said, never to musical theater. (laughs) And I took some flack from my family for that when I got home. But I don't want to get back into that age-old debate about the merits of musicals and musical theater this morning. 
I think I can make my point without reference to The Sound of Music or to Frozen or to La La Land or to High School Musical, those classics that have shaped my daughters. Last night, we heard a knock on our front door. And when we answered it, there were about 30 people standing on our front porch and then back out onto the sidewalk. And without asking our permission in any way, they just started singing. Like, right at us. They started singing, Santa Claus is coming to town. They were all staring at us while they were singing, looking pretty smug. They were singing. So we're standing there, ambushed, but smiling, feeling like idiots. It was awkward. But a really good awkward. It was delightfully weird. These were our neighbors, going door to door, greeting us, face to face, showing up in person, summoning us, awakening us from our Netflix vegetative state. It was definitely a blessing. It got us moving, it got us turned around, looking out the front door. Why don't we want to sing a lot of the time? Why don't we have more joy in our lives? I think our inhibitions are directly related to our inability to wait. How hard we find it to slow down, to take a deep breath spiritually. Instead, we are restless. We're always rushing off to the next thing. We've got our plans laid out, our lists of what needs to be done. And we don't enjoy what we've been given because we can't sit still. We can't sing a new song until we get to some future promised land, which never seems to materialize because it's a fantasy. And what we need most of all is for the Holy Spirit to stop us and to fill us up with his goodness. So Zechariah was a priest from the family line of Aaron, the brother of Moses. He had the best credentials for being a priest. And the day we've read about, he was in the temple. He was ready to burn incense to the Lord. It was exactly where you'd expect God to show up. And I think Luke's making the point here that this new thing God is doing is in continuity with Judaism. It flows right out of God's covenant with Abraham, which we looked at two weeks ago. And we've seen how that's echoed in last week's song. And again, in this week's song, we'll see that. In a sense, it's nothing new. And then, boom, something radically new takes place. The angel of the Lord appears. Zechariah is overcome, he's afraid, and then he's shocked to learn that his wife, Elizabeth, is going to give birth to a son. He describes her as well along in years. Gentlemen, that's not a good way to describe your wife under normal circumstances. But it's understandable here that Zachariah is skeptical. So he asked the angel, how can I be sure? You know how sometimes people say there are no bad questions? They do that because they want you to participate. And it's actually kind of a trap. 
Don't believe it. There are bad questions, and Zechariah asks one here. But it's not the question that's the real issue. The angel sees behind the question into the attitude of Zechariah's heart and proceeds to silence him for his own sake. And so Zechariah will be unable to speak, unable to hear, until his child is born. Is he being punished by God? Well, we don't know that for sure. Clearly, he resists the angel's message. But I want to think of this, I prefer to think of this as an opportunity. Zechariah needed to learn to wait for God, as all of us do. Whatever the case, he had no say in the matter. He was stopped in his tracks. God forced him to wait. Before Zechariah could sing, he needed to be silent. Before we can have the joy of the Lord, we have to learn to listen. Now here's a question for you. What does it take to stop a man from doing what he's doing and to get him to listen? Well, sometimes it can take something drastic. Years ago, back when we lived in Toronto, I was busy enjoying life. I loved my job working at Knox Church on Spadina Avenue. I worked a lot, actually all the time. We just had our first child, Chloe, and that slowed us down a bit, but not really my pace at work. And then one day I was in the sanctuary, I was moving some heavy sound equipment, and I felt something twinge, tweak. I got what's commonly referred to as a hernia. Do you know much about hernias? Let me tell you. It's a, it's, a, it's a great Christmas topic. So my doctor explained to me, because I had no idea what this was, he explained to me that I had a rupture in my abdominal wall, and he recommended surgery. Well, I didn't want to have surgery. I was busy, and so I asked, what would happen if I chose not to have surgery? He replied, eventually your guts will spill out onto the floor. And that was the motivation I needed. (laughs) So off I went to the Shouldais Hospital, north of Toronto, where I found myself in the company of men. For every woman that has a hernia, there are 14 men who do. And most of these men, who I met during my time at the Shouldais, were quite a bit older than I was. I learned that you need your stomach muscles more than you realize in the best of times. And so there we were. We were men in the prime of our lives, some younger, some older. Every one of us a mover, a shaker, a lifter, a shoveler of snow, a stiff upper lip, strong lower abdomen kind of guy. What was going on, we asked ourselves. Or rather, we didn't ask ourselves that question because we're men. After the surgery, Demerol was our best friend. It hurt to sit up, it hurt to walk, it really hurt to laugh. I remember at dinner one day, someone sneezed and passed out. They fell off their chair. (laughs) Through it all, I had to wait. I had to stop, I had to wait for my body to heal. It was a kind of a silence in my life where I hadn't been taking the time to be silent for too long. 
And for a change, I listened. I read, I prayed, I did nothing. The Bible has a word for that. It's called Sabbath. And it's a Hebrew word that simply means to stop. Would you say that you're prepared to stop? How is God inviting you to be silent and to listen to him? Sometimes he does that dramatically. Other times we just feel stuck in the circumstances of our lives, like we're not making progress. And he's in that too. Where right now in your life is God asking you to wait and to trust him? It may be a health challenge you're facing. It may be the silence of discontent in a relationship, in your job, in retirement, at school, or in some other challenge you're facing. Before Zachariah could sing, he needed to stop. Before we can receive the joy of the Lord, we have to learn to listen. Zachariah had nine months of silence, and then the baby came. Let's hear about that. We're going to read from Luke chapter 1 again, picking it up in verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth, that is the wife of Zechariah, to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately, Zachariah's mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, 
and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. This too is the word of the Lord. So Zechariah gets his voice back when he obeys the angel in naming his son. And I do think his silence was a blessing and not a punishment. We talk about faith a lot around here, of course. But what is faith? I think if you boil it down to its essence, faith is patience. When I was at Regent College, Eugene Peterson used to talk about passionate patience all the time. That's what we need. Passion on its own burns out. Patience on its own gets lazy. And because waiting always has a destination, the most important thing is who or what you're waiting for. Zechariah waited for the Lord, and so this song he sings, he speaks, this poem he offers bursts out of a new depth of feeling and faith. There's nothing awkward or weird about this song. And that's because the Holy Spirit himself gives Zechariah the words. Every word here is rooted in the promises of God. He doesn't dream it up. It's not invented. He's singing a new song, but he's really retelling the story of God's faithfulness to his people, Israel. And every single line of Zechariah's song, of this poem, comes from Scripture. A lot of it comes right out of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet, who most of all prepared the way of the Lord, who pointed to the coming Messiah. Just as Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, would point to Jesus. And then what about that funny phrase in verse 69, the horn of salvation? Well, that's lifted right out of Psalm 18. The horn is the strongest part of an animal. It was a symbol of power in the ancient world. It's the opposite of a hernia, if you want to think of it that way. When your body is falling apart, what you need is the strength of a bull and his mighty horns. That is the power of Jesus Christ to save us. But this salvation comes from a different kind of power. It's the freedom to serve, the way of forgiveness, the path of peace. Zechariah was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit when he sang this song. That's where our faith comes from, not from within. It comes from outside of us as God gives it to us. The Spirit gives us patience, enables us to wait for God to move in his timing, to see his presence in our lives. That's what it means for Zechariah to prophesy. God gave him an extraordinary understanding of Scripture and special insight into what was happening around him so that he could encourage others. Zechariah was silent for nine months, and now he sings a new song about the promises and power of God. As we get deeper into winter, as the days grow shorter, all of us long for the light to shine into our darkness. Some of you are making plans to head south in January and February. That's how Zechariah's song ends here. It takes us back to the beginning. It takes us out of the darkness. It takes us to the first creation, to the coming of light into the world. It takes us back to the beginning of our Genesis series. Now there's a new light on the horizon, says Zechariah, 
a recreation is coming thanks to Christ. Thanks to the tender mercy of God, thanks to his incredible love for us, he sent his son to fulfill every purpose, every promise. And it's Jesus alone who has the power to save us. We don't have that power in ourselves. But his power is unlike the world's power. It's the power of love come down. It's the power of light that overcomes the darkness of death. Jesus enters the world to bring peace. And he does that by giving up his power. He does that by laying down his life. All of that so that our sins can be forgiven, so that we can be restored to a right relationship with God, his Father. When it says that he shines his light on those living in darkness, that is quite simply the light of the resurrection. And that is our ultimate hope in the valley of the shadow of death. And so as we hear the words of this song, as we start to move to its rhythm, to absorb its music, to let it shape us, we come up out of that dark valley. We come up into the presence of Jesus. We come into the peace that he has prepared for us. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to fill you with the same kind of peace, hope, and joy that we see here in Zechariah and in Elizabeth. But first you have to listen. I want to challenge you in the week ahead, maybe in the next couple of weeks, to find time, to find one hour to be silent. What's one hour, right? But I think it would be a challenge for many of us to do that. To put your phone away, to read the first two chapters of Luke, to let them sink in, to be silent some more, and to read them again, and to respond to God as you feel moved to do so. You could write if you're a writer. You could walk if you're a walker. You could pray. But take the time. The traditional name for the Song of Zechariah is the Benedictus, because in the Latin translation of the original language, the first word is blessed. Zechariah says, blessed are you, God of heaven. And I believe that as you listen in that silence that I hope you will find, in that peace that God wants you to receive, the Spirit is also going to give you your own benedictus, your own blessing, in the form of words of life for yourself, but also words that you can speak to others so you can be a blessing to them. We saw that last Sunday when we looked at how Elizabeth received Mary, who, even though she had responded in obedience and submitted to God's will, must have been dealing with it all still. 
Elizabeth blessed Mary and blessed her again. I was out with a group of four friends, old friends of mine from Toronto this past week. I've known these guys for over 20 years, one of them over 30 years. We're joking around as we do, as you do with your friends, talking about hockey, talking about our jobs, reminiscing, just surface conversation. And that could have taken up all the time we had together that evening. But I felt the Spirit push me to do something unexpected, even something weird. Don't worry, I didn't jump up, jump up on the table and start singing. That, that was not the Spirit's leading on that occasion. That, that may come. Instead, I told my friends about something our family does on a regular basis. And we do it around Courtright as well from time to time. It's called Rose Thorn Bud. Our kids brought it back from Pioneer Camp one summer. Basically, you go around the circle, whatever group of people you're with, and everyone shares a rose, something you're thankful for, a thorn, something that's hard or painful in your life, that's the tough one, and a bud, something you're looking forward to. And I said to my friends, we should try it. So there we were in this dive bar on Bathurst Street in downtown Toronto, People were loud all around us. The place was packed. We were enjoying ourselves, normal talk, banter, and I had just ruined everything. And I could tell a couple of them were not impressed. I half expect them to say, well, that's it for me. I got to go home. Got to work tomorrow. So I went first. And if you ever do this, you should go first or it's almost guaranteed to fail. And then to my amazement, one of my friends, who is one of the funniest people I've ever met, but who always keeps it on the surface, the one I thought least likely to pick this up and run with it, he talked about his thorn. He talked about the thorn of not being able to find work for the past year, and how discontent and disappointed he has been in his career. And we continue to run the circle. My next friend said, pass to the thorn, that's okay. But another, the final person around that circle, again, someone who I would never have thought would do this, spoke openly about the unhappiness in his marriage. It wasn't easy, it was definitely awkward, but it was also a blessing. How can you speak that kind of blessing into your family and friends this Christmas season? How can you maybe bless someone you haven't even met yet? It's really easy for us to go through the motions during the holidays. But the Spirit, I trust, is going to prompt you to take a risk over the next few weeks and to speak life into the people around you. It might be one-on-one with someone. It might be over Christmas dinner. Because the silence into which God will speak his life to you isn't just for you. We listen to God and he sends us out. He guides us on that path of peace with which Zachariah ends his song. So I want us to pray now.
for that guidance because all of us need it. And there's going to be some moments of silence in this prayer. And, and I invite you not just to be silent in your own mind, but to actively pray to the Holy Spirit to give you the guidance over the next few weeks. Guidance in which is embedded a hope for something new in your life, in your family. Holy Spirit, as we enter into silence, would you draw our attention to an opportunity this week to step out of our routine and to make room for listening, for quiet time, to make time for you. Right now, would you give us a specific picture or an idea of when and where that could happen so that we don't let this pass us by? And Holy Spirit, would you draw our attention to a gathering of family or friends that is coming up? And we ask you to guide us in the path of peace. How are you calling us to speak your life into that moment? Who are you asking us to reach out to beyond the predictable people with whom we normally gather? How can we call people together and then be a blessing to them? Lord God, we long for something to appear. Once, long ago, from the chaos and void, there came a light. Something so good. Something so true. Something so right. Help us to make room in our lives so that we too can receive your light, the light of Jesus, as he shines into our darkness. Amen.